thank you for joining us for today's message. We're always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email to amen at imtheexchange.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at imtheexchange.com. Doing this will help us to bless others and bring messages to you each week. Today's message is from our executive pastor, Pastor Kevin Kelts. Please take a moment and prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. This morning, it is my awesome pleasure and privilege to continue what Pastor Jared started last week. Now listen, if you weren't here last week, you missed out on a huge blessing. And I'm telling you, you missed out on a huge blessing. And I'm telling you, I want you to challenge you to go to our Facebook page. In fact, this morning, go ahead and get your phone out and go ahead and check in on our Facebook page. But go and watch that video. You will be blessed. Uh, You will also be challenged. He started a new sermon series called Irresistible. And as you go back, I don't want to re-preach the whole thing because I have a lot that I want to get into this morning. Y'all want to have some fun fun this morning? Have a little bit fun? We're going to have a little bit fun, but do you want to be challenged a little bit this morning? Okay, you're going to be challenged a little bit this morning. Um, This morning, okay, you're going to be challenged a little bit this morning. Um, If you go back, you'll see that when God starts this whole thing, he, he starts when we're talking about covenants and we're talking about God making promises. Uh, Pastor Jared started with Abraham, and most of you have heard about Abraham. Uh, maybe the song you heard before, Father Abraham had many sons, right? Okay, well, you've heard that song before. It was about Abraham. And God comes to Abraham, and he makes this promise. He makes this, this covenant, and, and God has an agenda. And, and with this agenda, Pastor Jared talked about how it was for all nations, not just one nation, but everybody say all. It was for all nations. God made a covenant with Abraham that he would now, through Abraham, he would bless the entire world. So that's where we just said that word, all. Everyone, the entire world, not just one nation. If, if Pastor Jared didn't convince you that that was God's plan last week, let me get you just to finish this sentence. For God so loved the world. Say it again. The world. Say it one more time. The world. Not just one nation, but everybody. For me to sit back now and say, all y'all, right? Everyone. You see, God has a plan, and it was crazy because the creator of the world now reveals himself to a man with no people, Abraham, and what happens is his promise is that he will become a a nation now with a divine purpose. So along this journey, God uses a lot of different things, and if you go back to listen to the message, you'll see there's a lot of different things, and if you go back to listen to the message, you'll see how God used all these different things to move this story along. There was road trips, there were plagues, fire, brimstone, there was a man-eating earthquake, which is crazy, stone tablets, the ancient constitutions, a, a portable altar, there were kings, and eventually with some reservation, a temple. Remember Pastor Jerry was talking about the temple and how uh, it wasn't God's idea in the first place. And, and what happened is the nation comes to God and says, we want to be like all the other nations. We want to be like everyone else. They have a king. We want a king. And then as the king is going and his, he's moving forward, he's like, I want to be like everybody else. And we need a temple. Everybody else has a temple. And these were all something that I want to, to point out and, and make a point again this morning. They all had a shelf life. They were all what Pastor Jared continually said were temporary. Look at your neighbor and say temporary. Yeah, they were temporary. God says, okay, I'll, I'll do this, but this is only 
temporary. Now, in many ways, the adventures and misadventures of the Jewish people as recorded in the first half of our English Bibles can be compared to a divinely engineered cocoon. So think about a cocoon. So God divines the, he, he puts together this divinely engineered cocoon that at what Pastor Jared read the scripture last week, at the set time, when the set time had fully come, now it gives birth to the fulfillment that he promised with Abraham. So what happens is Jesus now steps onto the scene. He steps on the scene. He steps down to the River Jordan to be baptized. And with this baptism, when Jesus steps on the scene, something brand new comes something new something that that hadn't been before but now has come and and how been before but now has come and and I want you to to focus this morning on a passage of scripture if you have your bibles get them out and turn to John chapter 1 John chapter 1 and we're going to be in verse 29 now I want you to think about the context. Um, if you remember, I'm going to take you just back a little bit and do some review. At the first of the year, we had a series called Beyond Belief. And when we talked about Beyond Belief, I gave you some ways to be able now to study the Bible. And there's some, some, some pretty, uh, some, some vocabulary words that maybe you'd never heard of before, but we talked about exegesis and we talked about eisegesis. Now, exegesis is a way of studying the scriptures, and it's literally when you do exegesis, you read in context, you read what the scripture says, and you pull out of what is already there. It's, it's almost like a, uh, the, I always forget the word, the Jurassic Park guys that do the bones. Uh, what are those guys called? An archaeologist. And they go and they start digging and they're unearthing. And all of a sudden, what do they do? They find this bone that was already there. And they pull out what was from already That's exegesis. Now, eisegesis a good way to remember it is like I. I, even though it's E-I is the way it's spelled, but I is what I would already believe to be in there, and then I have a filter, so I read this already with an idea, already with a filter, and then I go, okay, that's what that scripture means. We talked about the book of Revelations when he said there was an eagle, and I've heard TV preachers say this for years. They'll say, uh, you know, you look here in the book of Revelations, and there's an eagle, and that you know, and you're not even thinking about it, but he just slips right in and he goes, and that is God revealed this to me that the eagle is the United States. And so you, every time you read this, you need to know that's pertaining to the United States. Well, we also talked about hermeneutics, okay? Hermeneutics is a way of, it's the art of interpreting things. And we need to have a proper contextual, historical contextual hermeneutics. So you have to ask yourself these two questions. What, when you're reading the Bible, what did it mean to the original author? And what did it mean to the original reader? And so I can tell you, when the original reader was reading the book of Revelations and they saw the word eagle, I can tell you they were not thinking of the United States because the United States did not exist in that day and that time. And so it's a misinterpretation of that passage. Well, I want to just kind of walk you through that and give you a little review because we're going to do some proper historical contextual hermeneutics on looking at this passage. In John chapter 1, verse 29, this is what John records. He says, the next day, John, so it was not the John that's writing it, but it was John the Baptist. Now listen, he was not a Baptist. I know a lot of people think that, but also proper historical contextual hermeneutics, the Baptist didn't exist at that time. He was just called that because he was baptizing people in water. Okay, so John the Baptist, he, who was not a Baptist, the next day, John the Baptist, he looks up and he saw Jesus coming towards him. So put yourself not in now time. I want you to get in the time machine and go back with me and think about what's going on. John the Baptist has a group of people that are following him. He also has a group of people that, because he would draw and attract crowds, 
it was other people that didn't follow him and didn't really believe like he did. And so all of a sudden, John the Baptist, way back, not today, but in a time far, far away, he look, he says, he goes, look, and all the people were looking at him, and he says, look, and everybody looked where he pointed, and this is his words. He says this, the Lamb of God. Now, when several people turned, I can tell you, we went to the rodeo yesterday, and I went to the petting zoo, and me and my daughter, we petted a literal lamb. And I can tell you there were some people that day who turned looking to see, they, they, they would just perceive, they would think, I'm about to, while I'm looking over there, I'm going to see a head of a household holding a literal lamb. That's what they were expecting to see when they look over. There were some people that followed John the Baptist and knew that he now was telling them there was somebody that was coming who was going to fulfill and now start a new covenant. This was something that they knew. And so when they were looking, they were like, man, this is a huge deal because this is who he's always told us is about. And they look over there and they all see this man, Jesus. And he says that that is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the, there's that word again. It's very important that you understand what John said. He was saying there was, just like what Pastor Jerry was talking about last week, there was something, there was an old way that we were doing things. But now there's a new way that's coming. There's something that's about to be fulfilled. And he almost stumbles over his next words in verse 30. He says, this is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now, if that was your first day to show up, that was kind of a, like, what? He's coming after you, but he was before you. But John gets back on track and he says this, I myself did not know him but the reason that I came, baptized in water, he's talking to all the people that are around, and many of them are followers, and he says, this is the reason. And they're like, why? Why? What's the whole reason that you came doing what you're doing? We believe in you, John. What is it? What's the reason? And he says this, that he, who's he, Jesus, who is now declared the Lamb of God, not a literal lamb, but this man. They're looking at this man who, we're going to talk a little bit later about what it means in form of the old covenant going to the new covenant and talking about the Passover lamb. We're going to get to that in just a second. But he says that he might be revealed to the world. Is that what he says? No. That he might be revealed to Israel. God had had a plan because there was a group of people that had been carrying this covenant for a year that had been carrying this covenant for year after year, generation after generation. They had passed this way of having a relationship with God, of of going to God. There was a certain way that they did it in an old covenant that involved a priest, it involved a high priest, it involved a literal lamb, it involved a sacrificing of a literal lamb like me and my daughter went and petted yesterday. It it, it involved a temple. It involved all of these things. And John says, there is a purpose that I came that this Lamb of God will be revealed to these people that have been doing these things. Now, if you realize the implication of what he just said, John also says that my small part in this grand scheme is complete. That I was a means to an end. And I knew that. I was glad to be a part of that. Not not just me, but like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Solomon. Like Pastor Jared told us last week with Nehemiah and all of the prophets. They were a means to an end. They were, God was, was using all of these people in an awesome way to now take where it was the old and now take it to the new, and please understand that all of these things were necessary, but they were also temporary. They were temporary. Remember, we talked about it. The temple was temporary. The tabernacle was temporary. Even John the Baptist, his his job was temporary because the gospel writers tell us that Jesus 
when he heard that John had been arrested, he didn't go rescue John. He went to the lake. Jesus went to the lake. But even after John's dramatic introduction on the bank of the Jordan River, nobody expected Jesus now to architect something new. Please, with me, get this morning, get out of your nowadays mindset. And if I, your pastor, stood up here and said, the Lamb of God, the first thing comes to your mind is Jesus. I want you to get away from that this morning. I want you to kind of start to think about what it would be like to the original author and the original reader this morning. Because there was a group of people, this, these children of Israel, this, this Jewish people who... Like Pastor Jared showed us last week, they had a tragic story. Remember, for 430 years, they were in captivity. For 430 years, they were slaves to, to Pharaoh. But then God miraculously brings these people out. And then, and then in doing that, we have this, this high time of, of their people where all of a sudden they do finally get their king and, and things are going pretty good. Remember, the, the David years were awesome years. The Solomon years, they're on the top. They have this awesome temple. Everything is going great, but then... Another war comes, they get put into captivity, things are not. And then another war comes, they get put into captivity, things are not. And then it's just kind of downhill for them as a people. So much to the point of when what I just read to you was written, please understand that they are people born under the law. Understand that we're not, but they were, okay? Understand that they still have temple sacrifices going on as John the Baptist is saying this. When you read the letters in red, when, what Jesus says, guys, the, sacri- the temple sacrifices are still happening. They are still taking once a year a lamb to the temple and it's being sacrificed. That is their way. And, and their way is a, is a point as a people. It's sad because now they're not in, in, in slavery to a nation but they kind of are because they're being oppressed by the Roman government and they're looking for somebody that would make them great again. They, they've heard of this promised Messiah who would come and they're thinking, we, we want to be great. We don't want to be the, the, the hill anymore. We want to be the head. We want to be the ones in control and in power. We want to build a temple. We want to be the ones in control and in power. We want to build a, temp- a great temple if we want to. We want these things. We're tired of being oppressed. And then John says, this is, this is the one. When they think, okay, that's great. This is the lamb. This is the one that was prophesied. Now, I'm telling you right now, in their minds, they never thought he was going to bring something new. They thought that he would take what was old and make it great again. All of every year they would have these, and we're going to talk about it in the middle of these celebrations. The Passover, we're going to talk about that in just a second, but they had many in their tradition that was a proud tradition. They were a proud people, and they just wanted, they were tired of being weak, and they wanted to be strong. And they wanted the temple to be great again, and they wanted their names to be great. They never thought that the Messiah would come and bring something new. They thought he would take the law and the temple system that was brought through Moses and, and make it great. And, and I would say to you that even as I'm, as I'm speaking these things, it's kind of hard for us to understand because when I talk about the new covenant that Jesus brought, you're sitting there and going, man, I'm so glad and I already know about this, Pastor. And, and why are you really just keep on pushing this? Because I, I, I love that and it's something that I, that I hold on to. But here's the thing, when, when the new comes and, and when it's introduced to us, it, it's easy for us to look at it and say yes, but when you find out it might be a little uncomfortable for the implications of the old. Because I'll tell you, the point of this message this morning is there are still some old things that we hold on to, some mixture that we, as modern-day Christians, even at the exchange church, hold on to on our lives, and we don't want to let those things go. We're, we're sentimental people. When we understand something new's come, we're excited about it, but it's just like when you buy a new couch... And that old couch was so comfortable, you don't throw it away, you put it in the basement. We're sentimental, right? We have closets and attics full of stuff that we will not throw away, and we go and visit those things. You have that favorite shirt, your wife bought you a new shirt, but you like the one with the hole in it because it's your sentimental. And listen, that's not a bad thing 
when it comes to like a favorite shirt or a couch. You know, having that old couch in the basement doesn't diminish the enjoyment that you have of the new couch in the living room, right? But it is scary when it comes to what we believe as Christians. You see, we'll discover in this series, as long as we cling to the old that Jesus came to replace, we'll never fully appreciate, experience, or even recognize the new that he came to put into place. So yes, what we'll talk about, I'm telling you at times, and even here in a little bit, it's going to get a little uncomfortable, but I hope you'll get past that. And by the time that we finish this journey together, I hope that you'll be ready to unhitch your faith, unhitch your theology, unhitch your lifestyle once and for all from the old that Jesus came to replace. Once and for all from the old that Jesus came to replace. And I pray that you will fully embrace Embrace now the new that Jesus came to unleash on the world and for the world. Amen? Amen. So let's talk about this brand new agreement. Let's talk about this new, this new covenant. For devout first century Jews, much of what Jesus taught was scandalous and blasphemous. In fact, I'm about to take you to a, a passage where he says something and it was so blasphemous and scandalous that it, it, it would just, I just, the only way that I can explain it to you would be like, would be like this. Let's say that our awesome pastor, Pastor Jared, later on in the year, in December, he gets up here and he says, guys, listen, December just started and we know this starts the time of year that we remember Christ at Christmas. We celebrate his birth. But for this church, I want to inform you, from now on, we're going to celebrate it a different, just differently. And we're like, okay, okay, well, I'm, what are you talking about, Pastor? And Pastor Jared says, well, this year, instead of celebrating Jesus' birth, we're going to celebrate someone, dare I say, that was equal to, the birth was equal to, or I would even go as far to say it's even greater even greater than Jesus' birth. For now on, we're going to celebrate the birth of Jared, myself, for Christmas. And y'all just laughed, right? And we're like, <laughs> he's funny. He's always telling jokes. Yeah, yeah, awesome. And he goes, no, no, but seriously, you know, the songs need to start changing. Oh, little town of Amarillo. That's where you're born, right, Amarillo? I mean, we need to get on this. We need to change the words of the songs, change the Jesus to Jared, and this is, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> He's like, no, I'm serious, guys. This is what we're doing. We're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus. We're, I mean, Jared, we're going to praise Jared, and this is what's going to happen. Now, if it's your first time here this morning, you're going to tell your wife, hey, I think you need to go to the bathroom, and I need to go to the bathroom, and all of our kids need to go to the bathroom. And you're going to go right out and get in your car, and you're going to leave and never come back. Right? If you're in leadership here, and you've put time and blood, sweat, and tears, and this is your home, you're going to be like, hey, we need to talk to the board, and we need to get emergency meeting. We need to call this meeting, and we also need to call a psychiatrist because Pastor Jared has lost his ever-loving mind. Right? Okay, what I'm about to show you in the Scripture is the same thing, and even worse. See, this is what happens. Luke records this in the book of, of Luke chapter 22. And I would say this, because you've never really tried to put yourself in their shoes, you've never tried to walk a mile in their sandals, so to speak, You've always read it from your perspective that when you've read this before, you've heard a pastor say this, it has invoked little to low emotions. But I'm telling you, this was crazy. In Luke chapter 22, verse 14, he records, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. Verse 15, And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover. Everybody say Passover. Someone say it again, Passover. This Passover with you before I suffer. Now listen, raise your hand if it is a part of your lifestyle that every year you celebrate with the Orthodox Jews Passover. That's what I thought. None of us do. And so when you read the word Passover, 
you don't really understand what that meant to the original reader, what that meant to the original author of what was going on. You see, even till this day, Orthodox Jews, I went and looked this up, this year it starts next month on April the 16th. It's an eight-day celebration. And the Passover, think about it with me. Just think about what would you think that would mean to an Orthodox Jew. Well, it's a celebration of, remember there were 430 years in captivity as slaves to Pharaoh. And they think about as they go through this celebration, they, there's, there's things that they do in the celebration that we're about to read right here where generation after generation, listen, if you did not do this, you were sacrilegious. If you did not do this, it was the word. It was like, have you lost your mind? Are you not a Jew anymore? Do you not believe in Jehovah God? These people did this. They passed it down, father to son, father to son, for generation to generation. They would sit down and they would tell the story. Our people were really oppressed. They were enslaved. But our Jehovah God, he came and he helped us and he sent Moses. And they'd be like, oh, and the son would be like, Moses. Oh, I remember. And this, it was like a, a very solemn, it was a very, like, this is everything to us. This is, like, if I was to think about America, we have, we have people that, that mean, think about that hero that means so much to you, that maybe you have a, somebody that's in your family that fought in a war, that gave their life, and we celebrate those people. And this, is, this is what it would be like to them. They're doing this, and so Jesus tells his his friends he sits down with him he says i've looked forward to doing this with you guys and they're like yeah man us too jesus and they're probably with you guys and they're like yeah man us too jesus and they're probably thinking this now 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 give me a little liberty okay they're probably thinking you know jesus since he's because he's jesus has been doing this for 33 years every year he does passover with all the jewish people and now they've been walking with Jesus for now three years. One of them might have thought, you know, man, I'm so glad that Jesus is the one that now leads us in this because he's really good at this. Like he really knows that, I mean, a lot of people even consider him a rabbi. Some people, they've even said that he might be John the Baptist. He's so awesome. Some people, they, 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 he's so, and since he's taken over, man, he just goes into the depth and the detail like I'd never, he's, he's taken this holiday, this thing that we celebrate and made it brand new. I mean, his brother James, when he was doing it, he was sorry, but Jesus is good at this. Jesus, he just brings out all the, the little detail. I just love it when Jesus does this. And, and, and they were thinking, okay, I see, I see the wine in front of him. I see the bread in front of him. I know he's going to talk about the bread. He's going to get the bread. And we know the bread is unleavened bread because they, they, they say it was passed down from generation to generation that it had to be unleavened bread because the people had to leave so quickly after God brought in the 10 plagues. And the last one, they had to literally cut, kill a lamb and put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And they had, now they were delivered and let my people go. And they had to go so quickly that the bread didn't have time to rise. And so that there's significance in the bread that we eat. And he's going to take the blood of the lamb represents that, that every time we drink this glass, it represents our freedom. And I, I drink this glass with my son and my family. And Jesus always does such a good job. Of that. I'm, I'm so glad that he's excited to do this Passover with us. And then verse 17, he takes the cup. And he gave thanks, and he says, take this and divide it among you. And he says this, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. All of a sudden, they're like, this is different from every time that Jesus has done this with us. Like, it, one of those, I was looking at the other one, I was like, isn't he kind of talking a lot about himself this time? Isn't he kind of making it all about him? Like, where does this guy get off? Like, we're always having to, listen, what Jesus was saying up until this moment was, was so impactful and so sacrilegious and so crazy that there are literally people that were the religious leaders of the Jews in that day that when Jesus would say stuff like, you know what, I'm greater than Moses. I'm greater than the, the, the temple. They would pick up rocks and try to kill him. 
okay? And here's the disciples always, hey, Jesus, it's okay, you know, just follow him. We really believe that he's the one. And then one day he, he's speaking to another group of people, and, and they're the people from his hometown. They get so mad, they try to push him off a cliff. Jesus is constantly, you know, saying this stuff that's almost like, it, it's just crazy. It's, it's treasonous to this people. And then Jesus says this. He says in verse 19, and he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, and this would have been, almost made them leave. He says, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do you, do you understand? They must have thought, he's, he's officially lost his mind. This, this is sacrilegious. You want us to celebrate Passover? Not in remembrance of Moses and what Jehovah God did on that great day when he set us free in the blood of the lamb. And, and then he not only, after we, we went out, our people ran out and Pharaoh changed his mind. And then he split the, the Red Sea. There's a day of the Passover that we celebrate that. And he's saying, don't celebrate it in remembrance of that. He, you're saying, do this. I'm Pastor Jared. And I'm greater than Jesus. Celebrate Christmas in my name, in remembrance of me. And you know what, Pastor Kevin, you take Easter. Go, go for it. You know what, I think you're greater than what Jesus did. Let, we're going to celebrate. Pastor Jared gets Christmas, Pastor Kevin gets Easter. No, it's no more about the cross. It's, this is what it would have been like to these people. This is crazy. This is blasphemous. This is what Jesus just did. He reframed and reinterpreted a mill pointing to perhaps the most pivotal moment in Israel's history. Put yourself in the disciples' sandals and how ridiculous and blasphemous this must have sounded. I mean, in our day, you don't mess with Christmas. You don't mess with Easter. In their day, you don't mess with Passover Unless, unless something bigger, unless truly something bigger than Israel's deliverance from Egypt was really about to transpire. But could it be to transpire? But could it be possible that something bigger than, because guys, the guy, the disciples that are traveling with Jesus still in their mind when he gets up there and he starts saying, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And then he doesn't go. That was figuratively. There were devout disciples that walked away from him that day. Not the 12, but ones that had been with him for years and they went, he's just lost his, this is too blasphemous. He just can't be the Messiah. The ones that stayed still thought he and somehow was going to make the nation great again, not do it the way that Jesus was doing it. And after supper, in verse 20, in the same way, he took the cup, and then he said this, this cup, which he normally would say represents our freedom, he says, it's the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The new covenant? The new covenant? Do you hear what he just said? They knew. They had been taught through the prophet Jeremiah. He had prophesied that a new covenant would come and replace the old covenant, would completely fulfill that, stop it, and start a new one. It's in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. This is something that they knew as devout followers. Jeremiah said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Everybody say, new covenant. With the people of Israel... And with the people of Judah, it will not be like the covenant which I made by, with their ancestors when I took them by the hand that led them out of Egypt. That was the old covenant with Moses. He says there's a new covenant that is going to come. And all of a sudden they're like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. This is full implication of Jesus' declarations 
are now lost by the boys in the room because they're kind of torn. They're kind of confused. Understandably so. There was not. A, there was a lot going on. I mean, immediately after this, there is a commotion. Judas gets up and leaves. All of a sudden, the guys come in. They take Jesus. You know, there's this. The, everything's going on. Everything's crazy. There is a time. Not no time for any of them to digest the significance of what Jesus said. However, they would remember it later. Somebody in the room would pass it on to Luke, and, 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 and then who then passed it on to the Apostle Paul, who then now passed it on to every major port in the, along the city in the Mediterranean. However, it happened. Once the dust settled and the tomb was found empty, the significance of Jesus' word now took center stage. 2,000 years later, in churches, homes, camps, in public, and in secret, Christians all over the world now celebrate some version of that sacred meal that Jesus now changed. Jesus used the his final Passover meal to change. Jesus used the his final Passover meal to announce the end of Passover as they knew it, and to signal the inauguration of a new covenant. Not a new covenant between God and an individual. It was, as it was the case with Abraham, not a covenant between God and a particular nation as, the, as it was the case with Israel. This was the big one. This was the final one. This was the everlasting one. This was the covenant between God and the human race. Every nation, every generation, the inauguration of the new covenant signaled to fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. Finally, something for everyone. The whole world will be blessed. With the inauguration of the new covenant, every nation would be blessed. But while the new covenant, listen, was a fulfillment to God's promise to Abraham, please hear what I'm about to say. It signaled the finale of the covenant that God established with ancient Israel at Mount Sinai. So, of course, first century Jews had a difficult time wrapping their heads around all of this. But what I want you to see is that first century Jews were not the only ones who had a difficult time recognizing the temporary nature of that divinely instituted arrangement between God and Israel. We still struggle with it today. If you go look at our history, I mean, and I'll even say right now, the new covenant, it, it means that the old covenant is completely gone, right? None of us were born under the law. None of us are ever have to be, you know, latched on to this, this old covenant explains why you now can eat bacon with your eggs, right? Like if we were still under the old covenant, you couldn't eat bacon, right? I mean, if, if we were still under the old covenant, um, if you start to just um, think about it, we would still have to go to the temple and which is not there anymore. It, it's just not there, but we would have to go to the temple and we would have to make a sacrifice in order to have now atonement for sin so we could relate to God. How many of you have killed a lamb lately? You haven't. But if you go and talk to an Orthodox Jew today, they still, I'm telling you, on April the 16th, they will start celebrating the Passover and in their heart, they still long for the Messiah to come. You'll ask them, do you still do animal sacrifice? They'll say no. And it's not because we don't want to. It's because we don't have a temple to do it. Under the Levitical law, you had to do the sacrifice by a certain person who we can't prove that those people even exist anymore because of the way that the temple was destroyed. In the temple, in the certain temple, and they long that when the Messiah comes, that he'll establish everything back again, and they'll be able to do the temple sacrifices again. And we look at that and we're like, man, you know, I know that we're, we're not there and we're not, you know, just all the way out there, but there's little things that come in. The church has an uncomfortable history and a habit of selectively rebranding aspects of God's old covenant with Israel and now smuggling them into the new covenant that Jesus established. For example, if you think about the 11th century church, now listen, this is history of Christians. And, and if you go and you study this, in the 11th century church, 
was a host of the first crusade. Modern historians, they make a compelling case that the crusades were, were justified, but what no one attempts to justify is the way that the church leaders in that day leveraged scripture to inspire wealthy and poor alike to now make this perilous journey and expel the Arabs and the Muslims from the holy city. It was a war that they said, they used the scripture, they said, we're in charge. And so we, we, we read the scriptures this way, we interpret it this way, and you need to trust us. And so if you love Jehovah, you need to get on our side and you need to go to war. Not only did they go to war and do these horrible, violent crimes in God's name, use God's name to do this, they even, it wasn't just the, the, uh, the Muslims that were, were, were th- murdered by the thousands. Jews were murdered by the thousands, and their property was confiscated. Why? Why the Jews? Well, it was very simple to those in charge. They explained that the Jews were responsible for crucifying Jesus. So they are enemies to God, and they looked into the old covenant scriptures and they said, look, look at this scripture right here. They pulled it completely out of context and says, you're either on God's side or you're on their side and now you need to go. And they actually found scripture to go and murder Jews and go and steal from Jews and they used the Jewish scriptures to do it. You're like, pastor, that, that's crazy. That's, that's horrendous. That, that's out of context. That's a misinterpretation, and that's my point. This is what can happen when bits and pieces of God's fulfilled and finished covenant with Israel is now mixed with the new covenant that we now live in. In the 14th century, the church, this is our history, the church had drifted from the tenets of faith that it started with. When you think about Paul now making trips and spreading the gospel, and it's growing, like Pastor said, when at the first it was irresistible and it's growing so fast, beyond, it's going like people can't fathom that this would be able to take off like this. And now through leadership and those who get in charge, things start to get twisted. And there was a group of people in the church from the inside, they demanded reform. We've gotten too far away from this. From what it, we started out with. They, they said we need, re- well, when reform didn't come from the inside, the, the reformers stepped away from the authority of the church, and the result is the modern-day Protestant church. What's the first part of that word? Protest. There were protesters. And they said, what? Protest. There were protesters. And they said, what the church has turned into is wrong. Somehow, you've developed that you have an authority, and it's not based upon Scripture. It's based upon what the Pope says. You've now set priests up over here. We're having a hard time finding that in the new covenant. We're, we're not understanding how you're saying that you received salvation somehow. It's by penance. It's, 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 it's kind of weaved in and mixed together where you have a priest, and then you also you confess these things, but it's also by the saints that went before us. It's all these things mixed together, and they were the, the Protestants were like, you know what, this is wrong. And they had five solas. They say it's on scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, and for the glory of scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, and for the glory of God alone. And I'm so glad that they did that. I'm so glad because what was happening is the people that were in charge in that time, they said, you know what, we, we can now uh, uh, use our weight to be able to make some things happen because we're dealing with people that are, most of them are illiterate. And second of all, there's limited access to Scripture. So who can question us? We can, we can do these things. We can go these places. And there was a group of reformers, a small group, that said, no, we're literate, and we have access to the Scripture. And they said, when we line up What you guys are saying with new covenant, there's only one thing that we can come up with. This is an error. This is a mixture that we can come up with. This is an error. This is a mixture. And so all of a sudden, you move on in history. There's so many things. And you say, well, pastor, that can't be happening in the church today. 
And to that I say, can it? See, it's a mistake to assume that our brand of Christianity is free from all old covenant leftovers. The modern church suffers from its very own version of mix and match theology. And by mix and match, I'm referring to our habit of reaching back to old covenant concepts, teachings, sayings, and narratives to, re- to now support our own teachings, sayings, and narratives. Here's some examples. I'm just going to read to you a couple questions of old covenant leftovers that will whet your appetite as we move forward in the following weeks. Answer me this question. Why are Christians behind the movement to post the Ten Commandments in classrooms and courthouses? Why why not portions of the Sermon on the Mount? The, The Ten Commandments are all about the Old Covenant and keeping the law. And it has nothing to do with the New Covenant that we now live in. But... Man, that's one of our things that we go after. Why do we give children a copy of the old covenant bound with the new and we don't teach them any difference? And we wonder why I see in the generation that we live in, the church has turned our back on culture and we don't care what's going on in the world anymore because we're waiting on Jesus to return, come back and fix everything. We're still praying for revival to happen so that we don't have to do the hard stuff. And God's saying, no. There's things that I want to do in this time and in this now. There's things that I want to do in this time and in this now. And you have to now get away from the old, the mixture of the old covenant and the new covenant. Why do churches, still churches, have priests? Why do some Christians describe their pastors as the anointed by God? Why do some Christian leaders constantly warn of God's impending judgment? Why would a Christian believe that God judges nations at all? Why would a Christian kick their son or daughter out of the house for being pregnant or for being gay? Why would Christian leaders declare a tsunami, a God's judgment on a predominantly Muslim region of the world? Why do Christians judge non-Christians for not behaving like Christians? Why do pastors leverage phrases like the Bible says and the Bible teaches inadvertently giving equal authority to everything in the Bible? Why do we take marriage and dating advice from a pagan king with 700 wives? You know, my, my story is I remember growing up and... I grew up in a great church. I wouldn't be who I am today if it wasn't for the raising that I have. And I don't want to, you know, my mom and dad are here this morning. I wouldn't put down the way that I was raised or where I was raised for anything. Although on my journey, I've, I've come to find out that I was raised in a lot of mixture. There were certain things that, a lot of mixture. There were certain things that, you know, I was, I was very afraid of growing up, and that was what seemed to always kind of uh, make me want to come back to church and also never want to be a part of the church because of the fear that came with it. I was always kind of dangled over hell to be able to have a commitment to God when that was never the point in the first place. It was all about relationship, and I remember I've probably been saved 300 times the pastor would come up and say come come to the altar come believe and profess the lord jesus christ and today you will be saved come and he will give you eternal life and he's leveraging new covenant scripture but then the next week he would explain to me through old covenant scripture that because of what i had done i had somehow lost my salvation and come back to the altar. And I would come to the altar. And you know what I would do? I would be bringing my lamb. I would bring my sacrifice. Because it wasn't what Christ had done. It was why now through the way that I confessed my sin to God that I could sacrifice this lamb. 
And there was just a mixture that was going on. And, and that became a, a tailspin. I remember my grandmother, she always wrote me these awesome letters. And I have tons of them still to this day. Just an awesome moment of God. And I remember as a pastor, she would write me a letter declaring that the end is near and that I needed to get my flock ready and that I needed to get my flock ready for the impending judgment that was about to take place for those that were left behind. Oh, there's signs of the times, she would say, man. Didn't you see God bring his judgment on this group of people through this hurricane? There are signs of the times. There's wars and rumors of wars. And there was things that were being taken out of context. And, and I would be like, banana? God so loved the world. God so loved the world, not America, not this eagle. I would start to study the scripture and I would be like, well, Jesus said that these things would actually happen in his generation. And, and all of a sudden, I, I would think, how could a God that is love all the time. It's who he is. It's his nature. Would just wipe people out and slaughter people in this new covenant that he created, that he went to all this trouble. And things just didn't. And all of a sudden, I just, I kept seeing mixture and mixture and mixture. So, I want to show you that there's just nothing new under the sun. The things that we're going to be talking about in this series, Irresistible, it's not new stuff. It's just pure new covenant. It's taking all of the old and making sure that we don't have this. And I'll say this, as a father of four children, it's imperative that we get this right. Because there's so many kids that are moving off out of the house and going to college and they stand in front of a sociology professor who can prove to them who can prove to them there's some discrepancies, there's some things that the Bible says that it's this one way and this one way and then all of a sudden they're just like what and then they start to think for themselves I thought he was a good, good father, and they start to get confused, and they go, you know what? I just don't even want to try to keep up with that stuff anymore. It's important. So I hope with some of those questions, I put a hook in for you to go, man, I can't, I, I can't miss this. I, I got to be back next week because God truly is irresistible prove it to you. Please bow your heads this morning. God, we thank you so much that you love us and that you're patient with us. God, I know you love my grandmother. Grandmother. It was easy to just pick a little thing that she said to me. That may be a bit of a mixture, but God, I thank you for the piles and piles and piles of letter that had